So today I want to talk to you about uh, this phrase that Jesus was a friend of sinners. And now this comes from uh, a couple of scriptures um, that we'll get to in a second. But, uh, but if we look at the life of Jesus and we see the kind of people that he spent the majority of his time with, there were people that in his time, in his day, they weren't the kind of people that you would expect a religious leader to be spending time with. So rabbis, as Jesus became, they, they would spend time really just with their disciples and others that were kind of like them. Jesus comes along and he breaks all of these cultural norms and he starts spending his time with people, not just that we're maybe a little bit um, kind of, you know, a bit dodgy in their lifestyle or something like that, but literally according to the religious kind of framework that the Jewish people lived on, that they were considered unclean. So people who had diseases like leprosy, uh, women who were caught in prostitution, like these were people that if you were to be near them and be around them and associate with them and particularly to touch them, then you would actually become religiously unclean. Yet Jesus comes onto the scene and the beautiful and wonderful thing is that wherever Jesus is present, he takes the unclean and he makes it clean. Jesus was never concerned about becoming unclean by, by touching a leper, by associating with someone. His reputation wasn't tarred and tarnished by someone else's reputation. Their reputation was tarnished by his. <laughs> In fact, it wasn't tarnished, it was polished by his. <laughs> Every time that Jesus came near to someone, he didn't change, but they changed. And this is, again, the example for us to follow, that we recognize every place that I go, our expectation should be that God is going to change that place. So if you're thinking, Av, I'm starting a new job in a week's time, I wonder what that environment's going to be like. And you might consider, I wonder what the people are going to be like, what the culture's going to be like, and we can go, how am I going to fit into that culture? But I think really we should be thinking, I wonder how that culture is going to change by my presence there. Maybe you're moving house into a new neighborhood and you're thinking, oh man, I wonder what the crime rate's like and I wonder what my neighbors are going to be like. I wonder how I'm going to have to change my lifestyle to fit into this space. Whereas Jesus would call us to say, I wonder how this neighborhood's going to change by me living there. And I think there is something where it's so natural for Christians, I think, to kind of come under a culture. Because the reality is that Christianity isn't the number one culture in the world today. It's probably a lot. I mean, if you might look at the media and, and the way that the world is, Christianity isn't the kind of first port of call that people look to for guidance in the world it would be seen as irrelevant and, and kind of disconnected from the values of, of modern society. And so it's natural for us to feel like we're on the back foot, that we're somehow uh, on, on the underneath just trying to make it through uh, without suffering too much in our current world. And yet again, I think God would call us to have a higher perspective to say, what about my presence in this world is going to change the world that I'm in? In my sphere of influence, whether that's my neighborhood, my friendship circle, my workplace, wherever it is, the sporting team that I'm a part of, the local cafe that I go to, what about this place is going to change because I'm there? Because everywhere that Jesus went, 
things changed. Things changed for the better because Jesus was there. And everywhere that you go, if you are a spirit-filled believer, follower of Jesus, everywhere that you go, you take the very presence of God with you. And I think sometimes, I, I'm, and I'm just being honest for myself, like it's something where I'm like, I, I don't always think that way. I need to be reminded that I carry the presence of God. I need to be reminded that every place that I go into, my expectation should be that this place is going to change because I'm there. Now, again, it takes strategy, but oftentimes it just takes an acknowledgement of the presence of God. When Jesus sent out his disciples, I'm sorry, I'm just vamping right now. This is not part of my sermon. I'll get there in a minute. Um, but every place that Jesus went to, things changed. And this is actually what he told his disciples to do in Luke chapter 10. He sent them out. There were 70-odd disciples that he'd been training. So not just the 12, but a larger group. And he sent them out into every town where he was about to go. And he told them, when you, when you enter into a town and you find a person of peace, release the shalom of God, release peace over that household. So they understood they're going and they're carrying the reality of the kingdom of God into every place that they would go. But there was a tangible expression of that. So they would pray, they'd come in and just, I just release the shalom of God over this place. Even as a simple principle that you can carry, when you go and do the food shopping, just walk into the shopping center and say, I just release the shalom of God over this place. And understand that you have authority to do that because you're a disciple of Jesus. And the thing is, when they come back to Jesus, they're like amazed at all the things that happened. And it's funny, Jesus' response to them was like, don't get so excited about all that sort of stuff. You should be rejoicing that your name's written in the, in the Lamb's book of life. And yet, because it seemed like the most profound thing is that you, you belong to my family. And to Jesus, the least profound thing is that miracles were breaking out and people were getting healed and demons were getting cast out of people and, and the environment was changing. Jesus was like, of course. That's easy. That's a no-brainer. Because you belong to me. And I belong to you. But I think for us, oftentimes where we live in this place of just having to be reminded that we even belong to Jesus. And it, it, sometimes it feels like every Sunday we come like, oh, that's right, I belong to Jesus. Oh, yes, I'm a child of God. I'm, and we're constantly having to remind ourselves. And yet Jesus is like, no, no, that's, that's done and dusted. <laughs> now, we need to be reminded. That's, it's, it's good to be reminded when we lose sight of it. But, but really for us, then we've got to go, so if I am a child of God, if I belong to Jesus, then what authority do I have in this world? I mean, literally the Great Commission is, uh, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the reality of the Trinitarian God and teaching people to obey everything that I've commanded. Jesus says, all authority, therefore, go. All authority that he has, he passes on to us. So we want to equip you and train you uh, to value what Jesus valued, to live like Jesus lived, and to love those who Jesus loved. To love those who Jesus loved. And the list of who Jesus loved is long, because it includes everybody, even our enemies. All right, let's look at uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 2. Now it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. 
And the Pharisees and the scribes, those were the religious leaders of the time, the Jewish religious leaders. They were grumbling and saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, again, even when we look at uh, this Beats framework, the, the E of eating, we've got to understand that in the culture of, of the time that when Jesus was on earth, eating and sharing a meal, entering into someone's house was a big deal. That you would, to share that level of, of intimacy and connection and fellowship was really significant, which is why it's kind of a key as to how we can live on mission. It's not the only thing you can do, but it's a way because it actually creates a bond and it creates a connection, it creates intimacy, like healthy relational intimacy with people. But he is looked upon by these religious leaders and there, it's, I mean, it's really, this is not a compliment to Jesus. This is, a, this is like, oh, I can't believe this guy, he calls himself like a, a rabbi and yet he's eating with these kinds of people. And then in Luke chapter 7, verse 33 to 35, it says, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. So this is Jesus speaking about John the Baptist. And then he says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. So again, Jesus saying, Talking to these religious leaders, like, well, so John the Baptist comes, he's, he's fasting, he's not eating or drinking any of these kind of food, he's eating like locusts and honey and weird stuff like that, he's not participating, he's not hanging around with these people, he's just in the river baptizing people, calling them to repent, and you're like, oh, this, this guy must have a demon. It's like, then the son of man, then Jesus comes onto the scene, and then he's doing the opposite of that. He's eating and drinking and fellowshipping with all of these sinful people. And they're like, oh, look at him. He's a, he's a friend of those kinds of people. So again, it was a derisive term and perspective that people put upon Jesus and his life. Jesus being called a friend of sinners was an accusation. It was slanderous from the religious people around him. And again, this is something where Jesus didn't necessarily call himself that. And I don't think we need to, um, it, it, I think it's a description of what he did. So they looked at his life and they said, this guy, by everything that he does, we would consider him to be a friend of those people that we would not be friends with. And he did that by how he spent his time how he invested his energy, the people that he associated most were sinful people according to the religious elite of his time. Now, it's really important to understand that Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he was not a friend of sin. So when we consider Jesus as an example and we look at his life and we say, well, Jesus spent lots of time with, with sinners, with people who are far from God, with people that didn't know that they were children of God. He spent a lot of time with them and he would be called a friend of theirs. And yet he wasn't a friend of the things that they did in their lives. He didn't become so like them that there wasn't a distinction between Jesus' life and his values and his choices and the people that he was spending time with. Now again, there's a whole lot that we can learn about the judgment of Jesus, even where people you know, would, would try to, the religious leader would try to push him to say, you know, um, you should, you know, shouldn't this woman be judged? And he kind of, you know, draws a line in the sand, you know, that story. And he's like, I've not come to judge the world. I've come to save the world. 
And we carry on that same value system that Jesus had. Your job is not to judge the world. Your job is not to determine what is righteous and what is unrighteous in the world. Now, again, there's clear things that the scriptures would outline and we would be in agreement to say, well, I want to pursue righteousness as Jesus has called me to, but we're not called to sit in the seat of judgment. We're actually warned to not sit in the seat of judgment. And that's a kingdom value, a kingdom culture, a kingdom law that says if we sit in the seat of judgment, then that judgment will come back upon us. If you want to learn more about that, do the larger house schools. <laughs> it's because it's, it's, it's like Jesus says that to us. So he didn't come to judge the world. He came to save the world. Have we come to judge the world? No, we've come to participate in the salvation of the world. We're carrying on that same value. And the reality is that sin is an enemy of connection. Sin is a barrier in relationship. So when Jesus saw the things that they were participating in, his association with them, his nearness to them, was not an affirmation of their lifestyle. It was an affirmation of their identity before the Lord, which has been made in the image of God, they're loved by God, that Jesus came to die on a cross for their sin as much as he did for mine. That's why he drew near to them. He affirmed their humanity as an image bearer of God. And us too, to, to draw near to people is not an affirmation of their lifestyle, it's an affirmation of their identity in the Lord. And the reality is that Jesus was the most Christian person that has ever lived. Really, he was the most Christian, like he was uber spectacularly Christian. And he was loved by people who were far from God. So there was something about the way that Jesus portrayed Christianity that maybe is different to how the modern church is portraying Christianity to the world. I'm just saying, I'm just supposing. <laughs> Otherwise, Christians would be uh, the most friends of the world. People would say, I know Christians that they are wonderful, amazing, loving, life-giving people. Now, again, just because someone affirms Christ doesn't mean that they want to follow Jesus, but, but really I think a lot of people in the world would look at Christianity and they'd say, it's judgmental, it's, it's, it's isolated, it's disconnected, it's kind of ancient, old stuff, it's not really relevant to, to modern day life. So there's something in what the what Christianity has what the church has portrayed to the world that hasn't portrayed Jesus very well there's even you know uh, comments that people say oh people love Jesus they just don't like the church and for me I'm like how is there a disconnection there where's this disparity because if we are we literally go by his name we are little Christs that's what a Christian is is a little Christ a little anointed one and again, this is where, when you might say, oh, Brad, you know, you're, talk, you're talking a lot about discipleship. If discipleship is all about you becoming more like Jesus, then the more that we do that collectively, the more we're going to look like Jesus, which means the more we're going to relate to the world in a way that causes them to look upon Christ and Christians and say, I want some of that. But when we lose discipleship, what we can end up with is a little Christian cultural club that really is disconnected from the world, 
that sits in some sort of elite position looking down upon the, the filthy sinners of the world in judgment. And almost like God, like we think that God has that same perspective on the world. And I just don't see that in the life of Jesus. Now, is God a judge? Is he perfectly righteous? Will he one day judge the world for its sin? Absolutely, he will. That time is coming. But the time between now and when that happens is the time where he is calling his bride to love the world, to display his goodness, his glory, his love, his mercy, his grace, his favor upon the world. That's the season that you and I are in. And so I was pondering, like what, what made Jesus so attractive to the people around him? What made him so attractive to sinners? And really, we kind of know what made him unattractive to the religious people. Um, and that was probably one of the main things, was the people that he spent time with. And I mean, I think the, probably the number one thing that would make Jesus a friend of sinners was that he was filled with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. It wasn't that Jesus was particularly well-known or popular. He came from an isolated little town that most people, you know, like it's like a, he was a small town guy. You know, he came from the country. And he comes into the city. So it's not like he grew up in the city and he has this kind of gang of people that he hangs around and, oh yeah, there's Jesus. We know Jesus. Um, like the, he just, he wasn't that. He wasn't known by people. And yet there was something about him that people were drawn to him. And I think, again, it's where you see Jesus, he, he's 30 years old, he goes and gets baptized in the river by John the Baptist, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Obviously, he goes through a time of temptation, but then when he hits the, the ground running, all of a sudden, people start to get drawn to him. Now, there was a reality that people were drawn to him because of the supernatural, the miraculous things that were happening in his life. But there was a favor that he had with people that they would invite him into their home. They would want to spend time with him. John chapter 6 verse 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So there is a reality that the Father is drawing people to Jesus. The Father is drawing people to Jesus. Now again, I think it's good to, to have a strategy and to understand how, how, how do we disciple people? How do we do that? But the reality is, wherever you're present, if you are walking in the authority of Jesus, if you are displaying the nature of Jesus, um, all of those things are really important and good. But ultimately, God is the one who is already present in people's lives around you, drawing them to himself. So again, our, sometimes we can have that thought of like, how am I, how am I gonna talk to someone at my work about Jesus? How am I gonna you know, talk to my neighbors about Jesus? And we, we, we try and think of a strategy thinking that I've gotta be the one who initiates everything. But the reality is God has already done the initiation. And what we'll find is the more that we are just present amongst people who don't know Jesus, the more we're gonna realize, wow, people are actually longing for him. People are longing to know God. People are longing to discover their identity. People are longing to discover their destiny. People are longing to discover purpose and meaning in their life. And the Father offers all of those things. 
Haggai chapter 2, verse 7. This is a prophetic declaration. It says, I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, So that's in the ESV. Other translations talk about the desire of the nations shall come. And, and that is the reality that Jesus is the desire of the nations. Jesus is, was there at creation. He is part of the Trinitarian community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But when you create and you create something for relationship. So again, God created humanity for relationship. So hardwired into the, the formative DNA and culture of all humanity is relationship with the Father, relationship with the Creator. To be made in God's image, to be an imager of God is, is one who is created to be in relationship with God. So within every single person, dormantly maybe, is a longing for connection with something outside of themselves. And again, people can find that in New Age, people can find that in uh, even in experimenting with drugs and different things like that. There's people longing to find this meaning and purpose yet it's contained in Jesus and God is already doing a work to draw people into that space. So with the Holy Spirit in us and upon us is actually what will draw people to us. And I wanna release all the introverts in the room. You don't have to be an extrovert to be a friend of sinners. You don't have to change your personality. In fact, sometimes being more introverted can actually be a blessing because then maybe you're not as, uh, not that extroverts are in people's faces, but like you don't have to, to drive the relationship forward. You can draw people into that space. And I know lots of people, so you might not know this, I'm an introvert. I call myself an ambivert, which is kind of a little bit in between. That's just, I've, no, I've explained this to you before. Like I like being around people, just don't talk to me. Um, so again, if I'm like, even after a Sunday, sometimes I'm like, I'll just go and sit on the couch for a little bit. And I don't mind people coming up and talking to me, but to go around and to interact with a whole lot of people, I want you to know when it comes to making disciples, I know I'm teaching a lot on on all this sort of stuff. This is not my natural thing to do. This is not like my highest thing. I just love making disciples. I find it scary. I find it it can be awkward sometimes. I get nervous. Like this is, this is not something to say, hey, Brad's really into this, so you should be into this. Um, there's times that I don't want to do this, maybe as much as sometimes you don't want to do this, okay? What, I'm, what I do want to do is be obedient to Jesus. So that's all that this is about. It's just being obedient to Jesus. Okay, so you might find, oh, it's good for you, Brad. Maybe you love that. I'm, not, I'm saying I don't love it. I love being on my own. If I could just spend every day around my house, just in my garden, just building stuff, hanging out with my kids, I'd be happy as Larry. The thought of then reaching out and connecting with people who, uh, who again, from a different culture, all of that sort of stuff, it's like, that's, that's a cost. But it's a cost I'm willing to pay because Jesus paid a far greater cost for me. So then why was Jesus called a friend of sinners? Well, it's because he spent time with them. He just did. He was just around them a lot. And then you'd have to ask the question, well, why did Jesus spend so much time with them? Well, because his purpose for coming was to seek and save that which was lost. He was intentional to spend time with people far from God 
because his purpose of coming was to bring those people back into right relationship with God. Why did he spend so much time with sinners? Because that's why he came. Why should we spend time around sinners, people far from God? Because that's why we're here. If the primacy of the intent of your life today was just to be with God, I think you'd probably be in heaven right now. It's the best place for you. That's 24-7, just with God. Or maybe not, because he's also present here, you know. Or you you know what? You can spend 24-7 present with God, because God is present here. And he's present in the midst of people that don't know him. He's everywhere that you go, because you're filled with him. Um, I think we... It's absolutely that we need to spend time, and I've said this before, we need to spend time in the secret place with God. We also need to spend time in the marketplace with God because God is present in both of those places. So he goes on, the scripture I read before, Luke 15, where it talks about this man receives sinners and eats with them, this accusation from the Pharisees. So then Jesus responds by telling them a parable. It says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. So the religious leaders, they bring this accusation, you're a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and Jesus responds like, yes, these are my lost sheep. And he tells another parable about a lost coin, like he's saying, yes, I know that I do, and here's why I do, because I've been sent to seek out and to save that which was lost. So why would we spend time hanging around lots of people that that are far from God, that don't know him, is because that's the purpose of why Jesus came, and that's the purpose as to why he has sent you. That is the ministry of reconciliation that we've talked about. Is anyone awake this morning? All right, I know you've all got masks and I can't see your faces, but give me a wink even, like, you know. You're welcome to make noise here if you agree with something. You're also welcome to make noise if you disagree. You're actually welcome to talk to me about your disagreements. Not, your, not if you're just like, I don't want to do that. Welcome to the club. <laughs> if it was easy and natural for all of us, we wouldn't need the literal presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So, um, yeah. I, I, I apologize if somebody told you that Christianity was going to be easy. Um, just, read, just read Jesus. I mean, he literally says to people, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I've just got to bury my father. You're not fit to be my disciple. I've thought about it. Maybe I think we need to do a series on are we fit to be his disciple. It's full on. We think open door, he says narrow road. Just saying, I'm not going to go there today. So again, Jesus didn't just like hang out with sinners. He intentionally spent time with those who are far from God. He was intentional about how he spent his time and who he spent his time with. 
Now, again, I know for me, that's a choice that I have to make. I, I work, I'm employed by the church. Like I spend all, most of my time here and around people that know Jesus. So then to find time and space to spend time with people who don't know Jesus, I have to be intentional about doing that. It, it takes time and energy. There can be times where I, where I might be in my backyard and I can hear my neighbor and, I, and I've got to make a choice to go and say hello. But for me, when I have that perspective on, and I used to do this sometimes, I'd be at home and I'd hear, I'd hear a fly screen door close and I think, oh, maybe one of my neighbors is out the front and I'll just go out the front and check the mailbox for the fifth time. And uh, just to say hello, just to build that connection and because and, I love the people that are around me because God loves them. So Jesus was intentional with his time. So again, you could say, I just don't spend time. Can't really do it, Brad. I've got a busy life. I don't really spend time with people that don't know Jesus. And then my response would be, you need to change up what you do with your time because otherwise you can't follow Jesus. If your life is so busy and so important that you can't follow Jesus, I don't need to respond, say anymore. It's an obvious to be like, hmm, I've got my priorities wrong. Just say. I should stop saying things that aren't in my notes. All right. So when people encounter Jesus, things change. And the same should happen for us when we spend time with people. Because we're bringing the presence of God into those relationships and into those environments. So we should have an expectation this place is going to change. You know, really, what we should have an expectation on is if this church, Paradox Church, ceased to exist, would the the people that live around and in this city notice the difference. And they should notice the difference. You know, we're, we're in a process now, we're still going through council um, approvals and those sorts of things for the different things that we're doing. But there's, there's a favor that's growing with the local council. And again, it's not because we're a church, but it's because we're displaying a value for the things that Jesus valued. The broken, the lost, the sick, the hurting, the hungry, those in poverty. We're saying, hey, we value these things and that's creating an, an increasing a rise in favor. And it's not just this church, it's, it's obviously the history of the different ministries that, uh, that we've adopted. But there's something where the community around us should, should be looking going, man, if that church doesn't exist this community is not going to be the same. And we could say the same for the neighborhood we live in, the workplace that we're in, the school that we're part of. Whatever place that we, where we spend time should be changing because of our presence there. Now, some of you might be thinking, man, I've got, I've got heaps of people in my life that aren't Christians, and that's awesome. Or you might be thinking, actually, I don't, can't really think of many in my life that aren't Christians, okay? So both of those things um, we need to look at, okay? But if you have a lot of friends who aren't Christians, but none of them are moving closer to Jesus, then I'd want to say you're not a friend of sinners like Jesus was a friend of sinners. You might have friends who are sinners. You might have friends who are far from God. doesn't mean you're a friend of them. Because a friend of sinners draws people closer to Jesus. Is that okay? Just as a challenge for you, you might be like, yeah, I've got lots of non-Christian friends. Are they moving from not knowing Jesus to get closer to Jesus? Understanding it's God's timing and all of that. It's, it's the Spirit of God who draws them. 
but are we present and prepared to share and speak the voice of God, to share the love of God in those environments? And if you don't have any friends that don't know Jesus, then you're not a friend of sinners like Jesus was. So again, the question is, how am I gonna find some people who don't know God in my life and then actually start to spend time with them? And I think Jesus wants to introduce us to some of his friends because he's their friend. And he's saying, can I introduce you to some of my friends? That loud, angry neighbor, Jesus would say, that's my friend. Can I introduce you to my friend? That obnoxious person in your workplace that just drives you mad. Jesus saying, hey, that's my friend. Can I introduce you to my friend? It's all of those people that are in your lives and you're thinking, and Jesus is like, that's my friend. Can I introduce you to my friend? John 5, 19 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son could do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So again, great example of the life of Jesus. And we too want to be ones who, like Jesus, we do what we see the Father doing. So we don't just go, I'm just going to do everything. No, I look, Father, what are you doing? And we participate in what he is already doing. Okay. In order to, see, to do what the Father is doing, we have to see what the Father is doing. And in order to see what the Father is doing, we have to be where the Father is moving. If you sit in the corner with your eyes closed, are you going to see what the Father's doing? Probably not. If you're present where the Father is moving, then you open your eyes. That's where you'll see what the Father is doing. But the Father might be, well, I'm not in the corner with, I'm not in the corner, Brad. I'm in your workplace. I'm in your neighborhood. I'm at the local cafe. I'm, I'm, I'm on the cashier at the checkout. That's where I'm, so you want to see, see what I'm doing and you want to do what I'm doing? Then you've got to be present where I'm moving. And I just get a sense that God is always moving amongst those who don't know him. It's his heart. Like it's literally why Jesus came. He came to seek and save the lost. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And it's just weird that we've lost sight of that and we've made it, more maybe about like having good times together or, you know, putting out a worship album or just doing Christian activities, like having a nice Christian sports team or something. Like I'm just, I'm just saying there's so many things in cultural Christianity that can consume our time and yet have we lost sight of the very heart of God as to why he revealed himself to the world? of why he came. Now, is, is it good to have worship albums? That's awesome. It's fantastic. Is it good? You want to go, like, have Christian things? Like, it's, it's okay. But if we're not doing the very things that God called us to do, I'm like, maybe we should, maybe then stop doing some of those peripheral things and focus in on the priority that God had. Just saying. 
Do I like hanging around Christians and people that are culturally like me? Yes, I do. Do I find it nerve-wracking, difficult, hard to connect with people who are far from me culturally? Yes, I do. Is it a value of Jesus's to hang around those people and befriend them and introduce them to him? Yes, it is. So I'm just saying, this is my, this is me. So I'm like, okay, well, I, and that's what I'm going to do. So what are some barriers for us becoming a friend of sinners? I think for some of us, we've actually been taught that, that sinners are the enemy. That we've seen people who are enemies of God and we've made them our enemy. An enemy of God is not an enemy to God. God would say, if they're my enemy, that's because they've chosen to be in opposition to me. Doesn't mean I've agreed with that. You can hate me, but I can still love you. Your hatred of me does not determine how I respond back to you. You can dishonor me and I'll still honor you. I've been dishonored by so many people, countless numbers of people. It's, what, it's, just, the, it's just the way it is when you're a pastor big target on your back of dishonor and slander and judgment and all this sort of fun stuff, warm and fuzzy, that you get to live under. And you know what I choose to do? I choose to honor in response because that's who I am. That's who I want to be. I want to reflect Christ to people. So I've forgiven people who have done bad things to me. I've honored people who have dishonored me. And in the same way, the Father's view towards humanity is like, you might call me your enemy, but I'm your friend. It doesn't change. God says, oh, you want to be my enemy? Then I'll be your enemy. No, God says, no, I'm, gonna, I'm still going to be your father. So we've taken on and we've come into agreement with another person's perspective rather than having the Father's perspective that says, no, you're a child of God. You're not an enemy of God and I'm not going to view you as an enemy. So we actually need to repent for how we maybe viewed the world. Maybe for some of us, we've been consumed by cultural Christianity and therefore we only have friends and we actually don't know how to relate to people that are far from God. Maybe you're like that. It's like, I've got nothing to talk about except the Bible and, you know, the Chosen series or something. Like maybe it's, you just feel like, I just don't know anything other than, maybe you've been so enculturated in Christianity that you just don't even know how to do that. That's okay. But get around people who you know, but I know that person, they have lots of, friends who don't know Jesus then befriend the person who doesn't who has lots of friends that don't know Jesus and then just spend time with them listen to them learn from them says wow you just talk about this stuff and man I love how you brought and you can bring people to Jesus in the conversation you can do all that sort of stuff but it might just take time of just actually getting to know some people and learning like sinners aren't scary you were one once maybe you still are Maybe for some of us, you know, yeah, we've, we've judged people. We've just judged people and we've, we've created a separation. We've literally set up a dividing wall, the very dividing wall that Jesus demolished on the cross. We've spent time rebuilding brick by brick to separate ourselves from those who don't know God. Oh, thank you. I'll give a sailor. So we need to repent. We need to, it might be actually in our heart 
that there's an issue, that that barrier is in our heart. And it's not like, oh, I just don't know any non-Christians. Like, I don't want to know non-Christians. Maybe that's in your heart. It's okay, but can I just encourage you, be honest with the Lord. Bring it before him and say, Jesus, change my heart. Because this, I can see clearly from the scriptures, this wasn't your heart and it isn't your heart. And I want to have your heart. Maybe for some of us, you've got lots of friends who don't know Jesus. So what might be some barriers for you? Again, I think for some of us, for people sometimes, they've become really more of a friend of sin than they, than they are of sinners. That was me when I first became a Christian. So I didn't grow up in the church. It was when I was 16, started attending a church, and, uh, and I naturally gravitated towards those who weren't following Jesus. So again, it felt like, well, I can, I can be a Christian, I can be in this environment, um, and yet I can kind of behave in ways that don't honor the Lord. But I felt, well, you're Christians, and, and uh, you call yourselves Christians, but you're, you're living like I'm still living from the past. So then we associate, and we kind of draw near to those people. But it's really just, oh, I just don't want to change or be convicted about my lifestyle. So again, that can be a barrier. But I think we also need to acknowledge that sometimes they can be fearful of rejection. We actually don't want to even maybe let people know that we're a follower of Jesus. We don't want to present a, a different culture, the culture of heaven around these people because I'm actually fearful that they'll reject me if I start to behave like Jesus would behave. And yet maybe your understanding of what Jesus' behavior looked like was actually different to the reality of what it was because he was loved by people who are far from him. All right, so some practical ways to become a friend of sinners. First step, stop considering them sinners. Start viewing them as children of God who don't know their father. We need a change of mindset, okay? Find ways to spend time with people. As I said before, you might need to change your diary. You might need to change up your calendar to be present amongst people. Create space for connection and conversation. If your life is so jam-packed with activities and, and, and work and different things and you have no time just to be present with people, you're going to find it hard. Um, you know, get to know the people that live around you. Get to know the people that you work with. Just ask questions of people. Befriend them. Have an interest in their life. Even if, even if you might find, I have nothing in common with this person. To love them is just to find out everything that they're about. And then find a way to love them and bless them through that knowing. You can prayer walk your neighborhood. You can take your dog for a walk, maybe at the same time each day. Go down to a park. I, I literally, I went to pick up something from Marketplace right up in like Palmyra. And I took my dog with me and I thought I'll give her a run at the park. And within five minutes, there was four or five different people that had just come down with their dogs. And you just start getting conversation. Because again, it's like this like if I was just there, standing there in the, in the, on the park on my own, probably a bit weird. And then someone else just came down, like we're like, hey, how you doing? Like, but it's all, when you got your dog there, it's all of a sudden, ah, oh, not weird anymore. Um, but it's, you kind of stand there and your dog runs around and, and you just naturally start conversation and build a relationship. Now, I'm, I'm way out of town, so I'm not thinking I'm going to see this person the next day. But just to do those sorts of things, um, be present in places. Take your, just go for a walk with your kids or with a friend or whatever it is. Get to be present around your neighborhood. Um, spend time at what we call a third place. So third places are, so there's maybe your home, 
your workplace, and oftentimes we'll have a third place. It could be a sports team, it could be a local cafe that you always go to, but spend time there and consider, if you, if you love going to a little cafe, then spark up conversation with the barista. Get to know the people, get to, they know your name. I used to do this at a cafe, there used to be like no cafes in Quinana where I live, and so I'd have to travel like 20 minutes up to Coburn, but, uh, but I just used to spend lots of time there, and then I would have conversations with the owner, and, and just build connection and relationship, and I ended up doing her wedding, you know, marrying her and her, and her husband, and just getting involved and, and building relationship in their life, but it's by spending time there with coffee, which is extra bonus, and to say, and again, have an expectation that this is going to cost you. Oh, Brad, that sounds like a cost. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just normalize cost and Christianity. If there's a, if there's a, a bridge that you need to cross there, then I just really encourage you to do it. Because if your assumption is following Jesus isn't going to cost me, you've just, you, you really missed the fine print there in that contract that you signed when you gave your life to Jesus. When Jesus came, God came near. Wherever you go, God is coming near to people. God is coming near to people because you're becoming, you're coming near to people. I just want to read to finish from Romans 5, verse 6 to 11. It says, For why we were still weak, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and I. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we live by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we all need to understand that the sinners that Jesus died for was you and I. The sinners that Jesus befriended was you and I. And someone introduced us to the Father. You're sitting in this room today because someone who knew the Father introduced you to the Father. It may have been a parent, may have been a friend, whatever, but somebody cost themselves to introduce you to the Father. Someone cost themselves to share the love of God and the truth of Jesus with you. And I just want to ask you, will you be that someone to someone else? The gift of Christ is a gift to be shared. It's not a gift to be, to be held tight and go, oh, I'm so glad I got this gift. It's a gift to be shared. But God is calling you to befriend others so that he can invite them into right relationship with him. Amen? All right, why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just bring our hearts before you. And Lord, we bring before you all the good 
and the bad and the ugly of our hearts. We thank you, Lord. You're not ashamed to look upon our hearts. You're not ashamed to look upon even the sin in our own hearts, Lord. And, and I thank you, God, that you don't identify us by our sin. But Lord, we acknowledge that there's parts of our heart that just aren't right, Lord. And so, Father, we bring before you any judgments that we've made against those who are far from God. Any dividing wall that we've built up, Lord, in our minds and our hearts towards those who are far from you, Lord, we just ask that you would come now, Holy Spirit, and you would demolish that wall. We give you permission. We repent, Lord. Would you tear down that dividing wall, Lord? And would you give us the same heart that you have for the lost? Would you give us the same heart that you have today, Lord? Not in the past, but today, Lord, your heart aches for your wayward children, Lord. Your heart aches for your wayward children, Jesus. And we just wanna love you and love what you love, Lord. And you love us, but you also love those who don't even know that you exist today, Lord. So we ask Holy Spirit, as it is you upon us that is drawing people to you, it's not about us, Lord. It's not about our personality or our ability to articulate something, Lord. It's about our ability and willingness to be present amongst those who don't know you so that you can draw them closer to yourself. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing and what you're saying so that we can be your hands and your feet and your mouthpiece to those around us. And just remind us, Holy Spirit, as we go into this week, that we've been sent by you to bring the good news of your kingdom, to bring the good news of salvation, to bring the good news of a loving Father that is reconciling and drawing His children back into right relationship. And I pray, Lord, even that you would just release that greater measure of anointing upon us to see what you see, to love what you love, and to speak what you are saying. We continue just to yield ourselves to you in our everyday lives. In Jesus' name, amen.